What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome everybody. back to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Today, we have a returning guest with us, Brandon Moncrief. And last time he was on, we spoke a little bit about uh, his involvement in dent appraisals, and we talked about kind of the valuations and what gives value there. But he also is a partner in uh, McLaren & Associates, which is a brokerage firm in Texas and a leader in DSO transactions. So today, we are going to talk about straight talk about DSOs, about DSO transactions. And it's a hot topic right now in the industry. And, um, and yeah, I think it's pretty timely, you know, because Brandon, we've had some conversations, some emails back and forth, and you just say it's, it's an interesting time in the industry. And and you're seeing it firsthand, because you're representing some people, right? Um, But anyway, before we get into it, Brandon, welcome back. Welcome for having you back on the show. Thank you. And, um, and yeah, I'm excited for this one because there's some questions even I have about uh, about some DSO stuff going on. Absolutely. Certainly a hot topic. Um, so, yeah. So what's, uh, let's jump into it, Craig. You want to, you want, you got any questions, Craig? But- no, I mean, um, I'm, I'm excited to learn. I, I'm, you know, Pizza was sharing different things with me. Uh, he, he shared something the other day with me that, I, I love the term. I want to add. I, I didn't see the full list of questions yet, but one thing I want to put a pin in for today, if you, don't, if you I'm sure Pete, you're already on it, but the duct tape DSO. I want to talk about that. Yeah. The duct tape DSO. So, uh, yeah. Brandon, I want to steal. Uh, Brandon, I don't want to steal your fire, but uh, excited to have you here and um, excited to learn. So, Brandon, give some context about kind of what you're seeing. Um, that you know, just that a lot of doctors are getting googly-eyed about DSO exits and transactions and you know everyone's hearing about these monster multiples but can you can you share some of your experience and why sometimes we need to pump the brakes yeah absolutely so up until a few years ago we weren't involved really in any DSO transactions I mean we were trying to keep private practice private and most of our seller clients were not really interested in broaching the topic of selling to a DSO um, we didn't even want to bring it up because most of them weren't interested in selling out to corporate, but we've definitely seen a shift in, in that mindset over the past few years. And we've had to make a shift in our business and evolve to educate ourselves on, you know, what DSOs are looking for, how those transactions are structured and why our clients might want to consider, uh, going that route. So it's been an interesting evolution just in a very short period of time, whereby most of our clients weren't even open to selling to DSOs. And now we're getting phone calls daily from doctors that are being heavily solicited and courted by DSOs and sometimes other brokers that are pushing them that direction and they're, they're wanting to know more about it. Um, and I think that shift in mindset is, has been caused by several things. I mean, some of it's financial. There's been a, uh, there's a, a gap between what private buyers will pay for practices versus what DSOs will pay for practices. And uh, some of it, I think, has an emotional aspect to it, whereby, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, seasoned practice owners practice later and later into their career. They, uh, they're happy to offload the, the management responsibilities, but they want to remain a dentist and they want to mm-hmm. go back to doing what they love. And that's taking care of patients and, and not managing the, the business aspects of the practice. 
Um, so you've got financial incentives, you've got the ability for doctors that are older to maybe offload the stuff that keeps them up at night and just going back to being a dentist. And I think that's piquing their interest. And it's gotten a little bit more socially acceptable as more and more <laughs> of their colleagues have sold the DSOs, uh, selling out to corporate quote unquote is a little bit easier for them to stomach and maybe not as frowned upon as it, as it was at, at one point in time. And to the DSO's credit, and they're not all created equal, but they, they have kind of gotten in their lane from a standpoint of realizing that their job is to support practices from a business standpoint and stay out of the clinical side of it and allow the doctor to have the autonomy to, you know, take care of their patients in the proper manner. Um, along with that, you know, on the, the young doc side, the buyer side, you've got the millennial mindset where they don't necessarily want to um, pin themselves down, take on a tremendous mm -hmm. amount of debt on top of their dental school debt, and then marry themselves to a, a single practice or a single location. They're more mobile and, and open to change than they've ever been before. You've got an increase in dental school graduates, so you've got a consistent workforce for the DSOs to employ. Those graduates have three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in debt. The idea of taking on another half million to a million dollars to buy a practice can be intimidating, although they really need to do it and go into more debt if they want to dig themselves out of debt. Um, so you've got all these factors that have created kind of this this perfect storm. For one, one factor, I think you left out. I want to add to that, Brennan is, um, you know, Peter and I always talk about this idea about DSO 1.0, DSO 2.0. And, you know, we always talk about this um, analogy of the DSOs being kind of like the hotel chains. And uh, 10, 15 years ago, all we had was basically La Quinta's Holiday Inn Express and uh, Super 8. And now we have Ritz-Carlton and, and, and higher level DSOs, more sophisticated DSOs that are actually in some ways, making the profession better. They're educating their dentists. They're, they're um, spending time to yeah, energy there's, to make there's things better. There's maturation in the space for sure, Craig. Yeah. We're yeah. seeing this. And, and, they're they're um, investing in technology and you know, doing things that a lot of practice owners can't afford to do. Yeah. Yep. And also, much like the Ritz-Carlton, the Ritz-Carlton, from what I understand, Pete, Pete, you probably speak to this, they don't own the hotel, right? There's a local hotelier that um, owns a hotel and they license to Ritz Carlton and or Four Seasons. Brennan, you're nodding your head. Yes. Is that, are you aware of that? I think that it, it, you, it, you license the hotel or something like that. With, with some of the, the chain hotels. Yeah. The, the higher end hotels, that's their business model. And you're seeing that in the DSO space as well, where, you know, they've got a local partner or, or you know, somebody that's retained equity type thing uh, so, and, and retained a brand locally. Brandon, I have a question. Um, there, there is this massive disconnect, I think, in, in valuations. And we touched on this last time, but right. So we have this thing where you're hearing DSOs are paying 200% of top line revenue, right? Not factoring. I know, I know. Just bear with me for a yeah. second, right? That's, yeah, that's, a, that's a headline. And then you have the, the, the solo practitioner offices that you can acquire. And it's like, hey, practice just goes for 70 to 70 to 85% of top line revenue. So this massive disconnect, I guess my question is at what point, because that, that really, that 200% that I alluded to doesn't really apply to the mom and pop practice sub million dollars. It's not until you get to scale where you start getting, you know, multiples of six, seven, eight times EBITDA. So 
I guess my question is like, why is there this massive, do you feel like that is why everyone is trying to grow and expand? And you feel like it's incumbent upon us if we really want to have an exit one day, it's incumbent upon us to grow, to get to scale so that you can realize these headlines that people are talking about. Yeah. So, so where's the tipping point? The, the tipping yes. point is normally about 1.5 million in revenue where the difference between the private buyer marketplace, the traditional dental lender uh, back transaction mm -hmm. um, is far less than what a, a DSO will pay. And that's when you hit EBITDA of about, you know, let's call it 350, 400,000 or more yep. it is where the DSO valuation starts to really run away from the, the private buyer the traditional valuation. valuation is that Correct. because they want a platform like essentially it's almost as easy to buy a small pra a, a giant practice <clears> as <throat> it is onboarding a small practice it's actually harder to onboard a small practice okay. than is a large practice and and that, that's because you're talking about practices that have more sophisticated systems staff probably doctors with expanded skill sets um, it's a look in my world. It's, it's actually a tremendous amount of work to get a $500,000 transaction done uh, tremendous amount more work than it is to get a, a $5 million transaction done. Interesting. Um, but by the way, I want to just also take a small break to just, cause we're using a lot of dental terms that Pete and I oftentimes use and probably the three of us use interchangeably, but I, I just want to break down for the, for the listener that may not be familiar with what we're talking about. EBITDA is an acronym for earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. It's basically your net um, operating revenue. It's, it's taking your top line revenue. Let's say you make a million dollars a year and everything that's left as profit um, minus out uh, a couple factors. But for the sake of the conversation, we can call it net profit. One distinction, and we're going to go deep into this at our summit, um, is that your net profit for most dentists, they do not pay themselves to work in the but, practice. But Craig, I want to put a pause in there. Okay. So when you are factoring this in, you know, cause sometimes we forget about the car insurance that we ran through and the meals, like right. all that stuff is backed out and does go apply to the EBITDA. Like what yeah. would, so you ask yourself when you're looking at your financial statement, and we're going to talk about some of these PNLs and, and Brandon, you're going to be at the summit um, as a sponsor. So we thank you, but we're going to be talking about like kind of unpacking reading financial statements, a PNL. So you can actually see like, okay, you can actually almost almost extrapolate what your EBITDA would before even doing. You can say, look. And by the way, your production does not belong anywhere on your P&L. <laughs> so when we start talking to dentists, and Brent, I'm sure you know this, I want to help people. And people say, well, yeah, I produce 1.5 and blah, blah, blah. And I, my, my overhead's blank and I make this. I'm like, okay, so what do you pay yourself? What do you collect? Oh, well, I collect only a million, you know, but why does that matter? I'm like, because it doesn't touch your fucking bank. Like, you right. know, it's like saying like I caught like a 50 you know, pound snapper, no one saw it. Like it didn't happen. So like, don't, you know, we, 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 we are not helping the profession by using terms that are not universally accepted. So, so just, just, I, I'll let you go back into this, but I just want to say this. So the EBITDA, you got to look at about net, your net profit minus all the stuff you take out, you know, your, the, if you do your laundry or whatever. Take out the owner's pay. benefit, right? right. But the then benefit. also you have to pay yourself. So I meet a lot of dentists that collect a million dollars, do not pay themselves anything and tell me their net profit is 400 grand. But we if they had to, if, yeah, of course. But if they had to pay themselves a 25 to 30% percent of their collections at salary, now their net profit goes from 400 grand to 100 grand. So your net profit is everything out as if you were just an employee of it. 
Well, and this, and, and this speaks back to why the, the separation of the market in valuations happens around 1.5 million, mm-hmm. because you really in have- In revenue have, though, in, in revenue. revenue. Correct. Okay, yeah. You really have to generate revenue of 1.5 million or more to generate substantial EBITDA, mm-hmm. because at a million of revenue or, or less, once you pay all your overhead and pay the doctor uh, an industry you know, comp wage, there's not a lot of leftover EBITDA for right. the corporate so, you know, so what Brennan's saying is you capitalize. don't have a business. What you're saying is that no, it's not No, that's not a, what he's saying at all. Well, it's, it's, saying at all. it's, he's saying it's, it's a not job. attractive for an acquisition because it's not worth the time at, at $200,000 EBITDA level. It's not worth the time of the DSO to onboard them and fold them into the ecosystem for $200,000 of, of, of adding to their EBITDA. Am I right, Brandon? Uh, yeah, th- that's correct. But Craig, I get what you're saying. I mean, in a sense, from a from a valuation perspective, from a corporate buyer, from private equities perspective, if you're not generating substantial EBITDA, your business does not have value to them. That doesn't mean it doesn't have value to you. Right, but it also indicates, you know, a business, running a business is, you know, th- th- I just want to just really kind of hit home because I see this happen too often that, there's, and, and again, nothing wrong with it. I, I talk to many dentists across the nation that tell me they want to scale their business so that they can make money when they're not working and blah, blah, blah. And, and listen, LeBron James has a job. It's just a good job. And most dentists have jobs because their businesses don't make money outside of what they do, but there's a really good jobs. They afford them with hundreds of thousands of dollars and great secure lifestyle. But I think it's important to note that you've got to, you've got to speak the same language as the uh, business people like yourself and what the DSOs uh, speak in order to have an intelligent conversation about your business. Absolutely. And you, and, and you really need to control the narrative and, and, you know, that's where our job comes in and that's where I get nervous about watching all of these doctors respond to these solicitations mm-hmm. from DSOs uh, and let the DSOs take their financials and control the narrative regarding what their EBITDA is. Did they really add back all those discretionary expenses? Right. Are they fact? Are they factoring in a, a real wage? Are they really? Or are they the taking doctor? into consideration a one-time thing? Let's say you had to buy something out or pay off a debt. Right. You know they may not know. And yeah. so, Brandon, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys act as the advocate for the selling doctor to basically say, "I'm in your corner to make sure you don't make idiotic uh, decisions." That's correct. I mean, step one is to figure out, you know, who you are and what you're trying to accomplish with your business. What's mm-hmm. motivating you to even think about selling to a DSO? Are you, is it financial motivation? Is it you're looking for better work-life balance? Quality you want to offload? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. quality of life, offload some of the management responsibilities. Are you drowning in debt and that's making it difficult for you to sleep at night? Do you just want to get back to a blank slate and then just have a job and go back to being a dentist? You got to figure that out first. And mm-hmm. then if it makes sense to entertain selling to a DSO, all right, well, let's figure out what is your EBITDA? What is your actual EBITDA and what is your practice worth? I, I like that you actually made everyone pause right there because I think that like, Craig, you actually make me do, you've run that exercise with people. Like you ask someone why like three times, like, well, why do you want to sell? And, and then why do you, why do you think, why do you want to make money? Right? So you're unpacking like the purpose of why they want to do it. Well, it's also destination addiction, something that um, I was just doing a slide this morning. Um, this, this thing, destination addiction. So one of my buddies who's extremely affluent and his, um, um, his family is very well known and he's a good buddy of mine. And he was just sending me this thing and about destination uh, addiction, where it's like, you believe that 
you know, if, if your happiness is tied to a certain thing that you're going to get to, you will actually never get happy because the happiness has to happen now. And so many dentists and so many of us are a victim to this destination addiction of if I just get my third and fourth and fifth location, then I get to do this. And it's bullshit. You'll never get happy. And the, the, and I know I always go woo on this, but when you talk, and it's probably you do that all the time, Brendan, why do you want to sell? Well, I just feel like blah, blah, blah. And if I could get this and then I can do this and and, and people don't really examine why they just get a bug in their bonnet and they want to do something or they want to scale because they're listening to Pete talk or me put talk and like, oh, I should have that. I should have, you know, like what Atlanta Dental Spa has. I should have that. And that's the worst reason. If money's your only motivator, if you hijack someone else's vision, you're really likely to get unhappy. So I think it's important to, to dive into that. I think money and fear are both two bad motivators. And we're seeing a lot of people look to entertain the DSO option because they're scared that corporate dentistry is going to take over the world. And I don't think that's a reality. And I don't think that's a good reason to be looking at selling, nor do I think solely. Well, tell the me, the, tell me, aspect. tell me where your thought is about, listen, I think take over the world makes it sound like some sort of in, invasive uh, force like ISIS or Nazi Germany. Right. But um, let's talk about where you believe the, it will bot, it will, I mean, if you look at dermatology as an example, most people will say it's what, how many percent consolidated, mid 80s, 90% consolidated? I don't, I, I, I don't know that it's that far, but it's pretty consolidated. So where do you think, don't you, do you believe that what's the future of dentistry? What do you believe the future percentage, you know, in 10 years, what, do you, what percentage of practices will be consolidated by a DSO of some sort? It's hard to say because this is all being driven by private equity and a lot of factors impact private equity. If I mean, you had to more, guess. If I had to guess, let's call it maybe 35. Really? Where are we now? We're probably somewhere in the 15. So you only range. expect a double? I do. Okay. Interesting. I, I see, I see an accelerator. And personally, you know, I, I was reading a report the other day and there's, you know, Heartland just acquired their thousands or I guess affiliated, whatever the hell they say, a thousandth practice. Like I've seen an, ex- I personally am seeing, maybe it's just because my mind's it eyes is on it. There is some acceleration and, and Currently. but you're saying the tipping point might be up to 30%. It might plateau. Cause Craig gave, Craig gave a timeline of 10 years and 10 years is a long damn time. It's a long freaking time, man. It, it is a long time, <clears> but you know, what's going to happen within the next 10 years is we're definitely going to go through an economic recession. Interest rates, I think are definitely going to increase those things play a major role in how private equity looks yeah, at it's all at leveraging world. debt. Exactly. So it's hard to tell what's going to happen when you're near the tail end of a uh, historic economic ex- okay, expansion. So let's, take, let's take out the financial unknowns out of the equation. Okay. Let's just have a more philosophical discussion that, you know, yep. I, w- I would like to have here. You, we've got increasing, um, complexities in running a business, you know, certain states are already pushing that envelope pretty far. Like California, it's becoming very difficult to be an employer. You know, there's, there's nuances to California state law that, that, that are getting increasingly more complex. You've got DSOs able to leverage the insurance company relationship and get, you know, oftentimes higher reimbursements. You've got DSOs that are able to leverage costs and pay less for certain things. How if those things, you know, let's just take the financial markets out of it because no one has that future, that crystal ball. How right. is it that they won't um, become the majority? What is it that you believe is going to block that from becoming the majority? Of, uh, I'm, of hoping, I'm hoping dentists are going to find a solution to that in the sense that it, the model is going to evolve into more of a, you know, a group practice model to where 
entrepreneurial successful dentists get together and, and do what you guys are doing and build successful practices and keep them privately owned. I mean, at the end of the day. Yeah, but not uh, for the purpose of, sorry to interrupt, Brandon, not for the purpose right. of exiting, which we see so many. Correct. Oops, sorry. We see so many people aggregating together from a duct tape DSO standpoint and trying to like leverage. But you're <laughs> saying from the standpoint of stability over time. Correct. I mean, at, to- the, at, the, at the end of the day, if there's no sellers, the, the DSO infiltration stops at some point. So, mm. I mean, dentists as a whole an interesting are, are, idea. In, can, are in control of your own destiny, whether or not it, it's 30% or 75%. You guys, you know, hold the key to, to that answer. And it's if you figure it out on your own or you allow this to happen to your industry, you know, for better or worse. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I think I, that's I see this important. giant game of musical chairs. <laughs> Tell me what that right. means. Meaning that no one, like, it's like, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, let's all do it together. And then like the music's playing and I was like, oh, look at that chair. Like, I don't want to be the one that doesn't get a chair. So I'm going to take this one right. real quick. Sorry guys, I'm out. Right. <laughs> or, right. or well, that's how everything it? works. Yeah. everything I know, works. I know. Just, There's no fair market value for like any stock. You know, Amazon comes out with some good news and you're like, oh, I'm buying them. And the stock gets inflated up and they have a minor setback and it goes down too far. I mean, that's how the markets react. But I just, I kind of see it differently. I just see, um, I see other forces at work and I, I see DSOs evolving to a point that they'll actually do it better than us. I really do. And when I say us, Pete, I'm not saying the, av- the dentist that's on the street. I'm talking about you and me. I'm talking you and me. Like I, I see a, I just see it differently. I don't know when it is. It might not be a ten-year cycle, and it's not. This is not a doom and gloom thing. It's actually I'm, I'm feeling optimistic about it. But I see it's an eventuality where they can do it better than we can do it. Um, I just see that as a natural. From a from a business perspective, I don't disagree with you. I can, I think, like, think about, sorry, sorry, let me just add one more thing, Brent. I, I, I put, but don't lose what you were saying. Cause I just want to say like, imagine like there, there's Home Depot. Uh, actually, let's use Starbucks, right? I knew you were going to use Starbucks. Well, I'm why? Gonna, well, because you're going to use the mom and pop coffee shop versus Starbucks and how the okay. experience is created at scale. Right. And it, and it's really, really, Starbucks is really good. Okay. I, I go to a lot of mom and pops, especially when I travel and I meet some like local guy with a, you know, that looks like he's artistic or whatever. He's like, oh, don't go to Starbucks, go to this place. And I go there and it's inefficient and I'm waiting and there's too much. It's, you know, is Starbucks the best coffee out there? Not really, but it's the most consistent coffee out there. Mm-hmm. We can all agree that you go to Starbucks in Vancouver versus Starbucks in San Diego versus Starbucks in Florida. It's pretty fucking close. It's really that close. Mm-hmm. And what I worry about in dentistry is our inconsistency, our, our ability to do it at scale. And I just... I, and I and I and I don't know I don't know that the consumer understands what we do. Like most consumers, just like want to like show up and get a cleaning and get online appointments. And we're over. We we make our profession so much more complicated. Well, do you do all in four? Do you do do you do do you have Sarac? Do you have this? And I, I wonder if the consumer, you know, kind of like you know the consumer might just be thinking like shit. I just want to go in on Saturday at seven p.m. and not have to like give my social security number and fill out fifteen forms. I mean, look at what Smile Direct Club has done. We would have thought if you would have asked me 10 years ago, do I think that there's a threat from a company that's going to go to do it yourself orthodontics, I would have laughed you out of the room. Mm-hmm. The consumer would never want that. And now I know smart people. I mean, you can tell me whether or not you think they're smart, but they're actually get Smile Direct Club. They have the money. They just don't want to have to go through all the hoops we're giving them. At the end of this year, we'll be entering in the year 2020. 
2020, everyone associates with perfect vision. Wouldn't it be cool to start your year off with perfect vision and clarity for your practices trajectory? Heck, even other aspects of your life? We are doing the summit early in the year for this very purpose. As practice owners ourselves, we are bringing tips and processes that helped grow our practices to scale. Learn from people who have done it, not just preach about it. So join us in Houston at the St. Regis, February 28th and 29th. We've negotiated amazing nightly room charges at $179. Even if you've been to a summit of ours before, do not miss this one. We're going to be focusing on digital marketing, including social media. Hope to see you there. So I don't know, Brennan, Brennan, go ahead. So the, I, I so the private you. practice model has to, has to evolve if it's going to survive. I mean, at the end of the day, if DSOs aren't going to control the marketplace, then consolidation is not going to get to 80%. Private practice model has to evolve. The individual practice owner has to evolve. The group practice model has to become more important. But again, a lot of it's going to come down to do the, the people with large successful practices sell at the end of the day? And today, the answer is yes. Because yeah. today, today, with all of the market conditions the way they are, you know, interest rates being low, economy being good, a lot of cash and private equity, the multiples that we're seeing are incredible. I mean, mm-hmm. we just sold a practice doing $5 million a year for $13.1 million. Top line, $5 million a year. Enterprise valuation, $13.1 million. What was the, Can uh, you, what was the whoa, multiple? Whoa, whoa. Yeah. I, sounds crazy, right? But doctor in his young 40s at that point, who's not a seller? Right. Well, right. tell uh, me the multiple though. Let's unpack that. The EBITDA on the practice was 1.7 million. So the multiple was, you know, Damn. six and a half, mm-hmm. 6.7. Um, it's hard not to be. Was a this a single location? Point. Brandon, I want to, I want to, I want to know the characteristics of this. Two locations. Two, two location PPO, fee for service practice. Good market. It was uh, four doctors. Uh, EBITDA was off the charts. I mean, 1.7 million EBITDA on $5 million. Holy shit. That's running a tight ship. Wait, are they all, were they all partners or was it one owner, doc and associates? Two partners, two associates. All right. So Brandon, I have a question for that. We're going to stay on this for a second. Is this because, is this because they were in an area that that DSO did not have a presence in and wanted to expand in and use this as the flagship because that is a reason, a market they're not in. They want to get in and they will pay more. It sounds like it would be a platform investment for a private equity firm or a DSO that doesn't have you know presence in that market, but it actually wasn't. It was an add-on for a DSO wow. that already had a presence in the market and was killing it with the practices they have and were looking to expand their model. Did they bring this deal to you or did you actually shop this deal and find it for them? I put this practice under a bid process, took it to the market, shopped it to 12 buyers and let them tell me what the practice was worth. And I was quite frankly shocked at, at the valuation that it ended up at. I what, six and a most- half you think is so crazy or you think it's just the, the, the number of the, the valuation to the gross revenue is crazy? The valuation of gross revenue is crazy and a six and a half multiple on a two location practice with with an EBITDA that can't be really optimized because it's already running at a yeah, that very, very efficient level. Oh, yeah, Doc it, is it, crushing his yeah. – I mean, I would love to it, talk to him because he's crushing his profitability on $5 million. That's amazing. He's like one gauze per patient. Only. <laughs> Only. And by the so, way, it feels hot in here. Yeah, our EBIT is 1.7, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have air AC. conditioning. <laughs> we don't have it. 
Yeah, in the winter, it's, you get a sweater. Right. So, but who? But most people are sellers at, at, at that level. But let's look at – Well, what's his future look like? Let's unpack his future now. So he's, he's yeah. young, 40s. He's not going anywhere. They're not going to give him all the money up front. So he's going to be, he's going to be tied to the practice for, for, for three to five while. years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, now what is he? So the partners are all happy. They're like high fiving each other. What did you do with the associates? Associates are retained and they're and staying. That's part of the process, Greg. That's part of the process. Correct. What do they take there? What are you seeing from a, after uh, post acquisition? What are you seeing the seller doctor getting paid as? I know Heartland, meaning as a percentage of their collections, because it goes down, right? 30%. 30% on average. Yeah, because okay, so Heartland's we, we typically doing 25. Correct. We negotiate an industry, you know, what we feel is a, a comparable wage, and we, and we bake that into the EBITDA. Uh-huh. Well, that's Heartland, a negotiation Heartland, will, Heartland will tell you otherwise. Heartland will tell you, you know, um, that it's – You get profit um, sharing. And, correct, yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's a percentage profit. Like if you, if, you, if you really boil that down, they would tell you they're at the same percentage. Okay. Um, yeah. But okay. it, so if economic considerations change though, right? So if that's, if, if something happens in the world where interest rates go up substantially, maybe there's not as much demand from the buyers of, you know, hundred location DSOs, which are, we're already hearing that the multiples on the back end for these large, large DSOs are starting to decline. Oh, well, wow, let's, let's say interest rates go up. Let's say we hit uh, a, a recession. And the six and a half multiple now becomes four. Well, economically yeah. speaking, it that client of mine is no longer a seller at four times EBITDA. No, just he was a seller. Business. At, he was a, absolutely. He was a seller at six and a half, but he's not a seller at four. Well, it's just and, a, and pure, it's a purely economic. His cash yeah. flow doesn't change, yeah. right? It, you know, it, um, you know, his life doesn't change. At you know, so the, yeah, I you you hold on, um, Brandon. So I've, long as you're not under duress from a quality of life perspective, you you hold on. The problem is with your practice is like when you look at your net worth and it's illiquid, it's in your practice or other, other vehicles, you don't know when duress is coming, you know? So it's always a question for that guy is thinking like, Oh, you know, well, I could keep growing this. And he's a good operator. He knows what he's doing. He's working his ass off for sure. You know, to, to create those numbers. Is he doing a lot of dentistry himself? Yes. That particular guy. So it was actually one of the things that was motivating him to sell is, I mean, to operate that, so that business busy. that efficiently and sit at the chair all day is damn near impossible. It's an 18-hour day. It's an 18-hour yeah. day. How old, how old is yeah. the guy? Early 40s, and he's got a family. So, yeah. Brandon, I have a question. Um, this is actually a, me, a personal question. So let's say you're being acquired by, by – let's say you have – four or five locations, right? And you're at that point where you need to develop your own centralized office, your own platform as a group, but that comes with a cost, right? To doing so in, in uh-huh. consolidation. My, my question is, is that's a cost that actually gets burned as an expense, which would then lower your EBITDA, which then a big group buying you would not really give you attribution for that because they have their platform that they're going to loop you in. Yep. So it, it, is yeah, that a sunk ahead. cost if you do that? Um, well, I mean, if, you, if your platform is properly scaled, the problem is, is what cycle you're on. So like, uh, I'm probably taking some words out of your mouth, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. But imagine if you, you're at your ninth practice and you're like, oh shit, I need to develop a platform. I need a C-suite. All, I need all the stuff. And now you have $400,000 or $500,000 a year allocated to this platform and you're scaling. 
then it's going to be, you know, then they, that could be that an point. investment, but yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, depending on your cycle. It's a, it's a long-term investment. If that I allows see. you to get from nine practices to 15 practices and that 400,000 allowed you to create another half million, a million in EBITDA, then it makes perfect sense so long as you're taking a long-term approach to it and make sure that when you're building it, you're building it for the long-term. Mm-hmm. So if you're building it to sell, then maybe it doesn't make sense to, to make that investment. Maybe it makes sense to go ahead and, and looking at, at, at selling. Um, but if you're going to make that investment, you need to look at it long-term. And then when you go to market, when you do eventually sell, if you sell, it comes down to controlling the conversation regarding EBITDA. If you're going to sell to a larger DSO that already has the infrastructure, then when you do your EBIT analysis on your practice, you need to strip out all your infrastructure. Yeah. Otherwise, so that you're probably yeah, going to get it's redundant. So selling, right? So selling to a larger DSO when you have that infrastructure, you're likely you're going to have to strip it out, and you're likely going to get a, a, a lower EBITDA model mm-hmm. than if you were selling directly to a private equity firm, where your platform is their initial investment in dental. In that case you're going to keep all that management infrastructure in, but you're likely going to get a higher EBITDA multiple. So you might sell to a larger DSO uh, after stripping out the EBITDA, uh, after stripping out the management at a, a six times multiple, mm-hmm. as opposed to you keep the management infrastructure in place. You sell to a private equity firm as a platform investment and you get a nine multiple. I see. So it just depends on the you, buyer. It depends on the buyer, but you've got to control that conversation because what do you think if you call a DSO, the large DSO on your own, what do you think they're going to tell you? They're going to, they're going to, yeah, they're going to leave it in and and try to pay you. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. They're going to leave it in. They're going to pay you a a lower valuation and then strip it all out right after they close. That was a niche question that I, you know, I don't think you have to dwell on. It's a great question. Okay. But it's, it's, it's huge because they'll, they'll penalize you for it in your valuation. Of course. And then you'll get this great valuation number. You'll feel good. Like, oh, I'm getting an eight. It's like a catch 22. Num- right? Yeah, on the wrong numbers. Well, what we normally do is we'll run two different uh, EBIT analysis. And depending on who we're shopping, the opportunity to is which EBIT analysis they get. If we're shopping it to the private equity firm, that's a platform investment we're going to leave all the management costs baked in and ask for a higher multiple. If it's a larger DSO, we're going to strip out uh, all the management costs, create a higher EBITDA, and maybe we'll accept a smaller multiple because our EBITDA is a lot higher. So it's really all about positioning when you take those opportunities to market. And then what, what do you typically charge for all your services that go in as a percentage? Like what, what do you typically charge? So the, the upfront fee is just a valuation fee. It's somewhere between 1500, $5,000. <laughs> and five thousand dollars, we charge typically, you know, six to seven percent of the sales price of the practice at the time we close. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I, and on on average, though, what do you what do you think you add as far as um, a dollar? I mean, a percentage of dollar valuation because if you properly, ten, ten to twenty percent, easy. I mean, if you're if you're responding to directly to a DSO uh, marketing campaign. And you're doing a deal in the dark. With and by no the way, it's funny thing is, is I've had calls, Pete and I have had calls like Pete, like, sure. you know, we always take calls and Pete like, took this call. I was like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I heard of these guys. I want to talk. I want to talk to those guys too. Like just to see, pick their brain. Cause you know, we run a podcast. It's like for us, it's like due diligence, even talking to these guys. And I got halfway through the call with this guy and I'm like, wait, just a quick question. Are you actually from ABC? 
DSO or are you a broker for them? And he's like, oh, yep. I'm a broker. I'm like, oh, yep. shit. I'm like, I thought Pete and I both thought we were talking to ABC and yep. we weren't. So it's a little, uh, it's a misleading. It's a, it's, so that's yeah. something to be aware of people who are listening to this. Right. Like ask them if they're directly. Cause yeah. Cause so you a, could really, you could hear a lot about ABC and ABC is doing cool things. You're like, Oh, that's so cool. And then you get a letter saying, Hey, my name's John. I work with ABC DSO. Like, Oh yep. shit. So funny. And it's talking about that. And John is just a broker. And it's like buying a house. If there's a lot of people involved, it, you know, someone's going to get paid. And typically if there, if, if there's yep. a broker involved, that's contacting you, curating your engagement, they're getting paid from what would have been landed. I'm going to get some hate mail on this one. What would probably have landed on your column. Right. You, that's so. why you need somebody objective and that's right. why you have to create competition. The only way to get the best financial result when you're looking to sell to a DSO is you have got to create competition. If they know that they're the only buyer at the table, you're not going to get the best deal, not only from a valuation mm -hmm. standpoint, but also from a deal term standpoint. And it's not only financially driven. How do you know if you sold to the right, if you partnered with the right DSO, yeah. if you only talk to one, you, you yeah. need to, you know, it's you need to interview. Yeah. You need to interview five, 10 potential yeah. buyers so that you can narrow in on who's the right partner for your practice and then leverage that competitive environment to get the right deal from the partner and, you want. And also listen, since we're talking about this stuff too, it's not just economics as well. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's really important to say like if ABC wants to give you a million dollars and DEF DSO wants to give you 800, that 200, 200 grand or whatever the hell it is, it, that's could be inconsequential to having the wrong cultural fit. Everybody has a different thing. Pete, my practice is similar, but different. Every DSO is different as well. And certain they DSOs are, are going to resonate with your values. And there's three, there's three compensations, emotion, time, and money. And just because you scored a big deal and you had some upstart PE firm, now you're running around being their platform guy. I mean, that could be, that's, that's, that could be very difficult for some dentists. Like some dentists who are entrepreneurial may link up to a PE firm and the PE firms are, you're going to be our first or our, our office is one through three and we're going to build 50. And now all of a sudden, like you, you know, maybe you practice or you enjoy practicing. Now you're like the guy who's starting a DSO and starting a DSO, a real DSO is really freaking hard. Yeah. Not but that, you, know, you might get multiple bites of the apple upon recapitalization. Right. But you've got to know who you are first. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah, might right. just see absolutely. dollar signs, you, you know, PE firm takes you out and they're like, Oh my God, this is gonna be great. And yes, you could make double digit millions, but is that who you are? You know, I, I was talking to, I had a really interesting patient yesterday, Pete came in I probably caught him at a bad day, but I don't believe any meeting is, is chance. So there's a very large car dealership in this area. Um, and I didn't even realize, I mean, obviously it's the name of a dealership is the, you know, there's a name, but I didn't realize there was a Mr. Blank, right? And Mr. Blank comes in yesterday with a shirt with his name on it. And I figured in like, he doesn't look like a mechanic, but it was like, it was basically like, it was a nice shirt, but it had the name of a dealership. And he looked like a really young guy and he was well-dressed and he's, his wife is doing some big cosmetic treatment. So I was like, Hey, do you, do you work with that company? He's like, yeah, my name is Mr. You know, Mike blank, the name. And I don't want to say the name because there's 15 or 20 dealerships this guy has. And I must've caught this guy in a really bad day. I'm like, dude, did you start that? Like you seem so young. He's like, yeah, it's all me. I started him 42 years old. He has 15 or 20 dealerships, you know, different, I mean, wow. major fucking dealerships. 
I was like, I'm like, how you doing? He's like, well, you know, I gotta be honest with you, man. Um, um, it's really hard. And he just kind of opened up to me because he's like, he, he looked around. He's like, I love what you did with your buildings. It's incredible. It's inspiring. You, you, I've actually taken some things from this building and the way you do things. I want to bring it to my dealerships. So he's like, you know, he, he respected what I, he respected the game I had. And I, I obviously knew who he was, but I must've caught him on a bad day. He's like, look, if I could do it all over again, I'd do it very differently. I wouldn't, you know, I had more fun when I had three and five dealerships. Yeah. I was out racing cigarette boats and having fun. Now I have two small children. He's 42. He's a very small child. And he's like, I don't see them anymore. I have mm. maybe 18 dealerships. It is so increasingly complicated. And I felt really bad for him. I, I wound up feeling really bad. He's like, I bought all the cars. I bought all the stuff I ever thought. And I'm really not, um, I'm not loving my life right now. I don't, and, and it was really interesting. I probably caught him on a bad day because I was talking this you've morning. Said, you've said that four times now. We know you caught him on a bad day. Well, I'm, I'm going to say it for the fifth. I might have caught him on a bad day, but you know, it's a cycle that we as humans go through. And I like to, I think I, I coined this. It's like, it's bored to break, to bored to break down. It's a continuum. So we all probably can identify with it. Like, you know, you're like, you're kind of bored. You're like, what am I doing? What, you know, I don't have enough Craig, stuff. I think on this goes plate. back, pardon me. This goes back to what you're saying about like the why and you're getting philosophical, you know, as you ask the philosophical question, like, you know, because if he had asked that question, I think this is probably where you're going, right? If he had asked that question, like, why am I doing this, right? Am I, am I staying true to what I want for an what's end goal? Purpose? Yeah, what's yeah. the purpose? What's but, the why? I mean, it's alluring. The purpose is pretty alluring. When, you, when a PE guy sends you a letter and says, hey, I respect the ground game you've got. Let's mm -hmm. roll this out for 20. And then you got taken out with a bunch of PE guys. And that's pretty alluring. You could actually get your why hijacked is what I'm saying. You could wind I up see. saying, let's roll. I could see myself doing that. I'm sure Brandon, I could speak for Pete. Pete could, you know, we could sit there and like, wow. And that's big numbers. And, and it's just, it's, it, there's a sickness that goes on in our culture of the disease of more and a little bit more can make you that much happy. And shit, if you're happy at 1 million, how you could be 20 times happier, 20 million. And next thing you know, you're down the path. And that's, what's cool about having an advisor, mm -hmm. whether it's you and me, Pete on the podcast or, or hiring a guy like Brennan, like saying like, what are you trying to get, man? Do you, you know, where are you at? Let's look at the numbers. And, and, and we, we have those conversations every day. I mean, we're selling, I, my average client age used to be like 62. Now it's closer to 47, 48. It's because we're selling practices for a lot of guys in that situation um, that have become victims of their own success. They were yeah. happier with a smaller practice or a single location. And, and likely more profitable or and, and likely possibly more profitable. More profitable. Yeah. So I was going to touch Sorry. on that in just a second. But yeah, they, they, uh, they're miserable. They're highly successful from the outside looking in, but they're absolutely miserable. They don't get to spend time with their kids. The business is running them. They're, they're no longer running the business. And like you said, Pete, a lot of the times they were more profitable, had a better quality of life with one or two locations than they did five or six. And that's a fallacy that I think uh, a lot mm. of doctors get themselves into is one, you know, the ego side of it, wanting to have 10, 15 locations and wanting to hold off for that big payday. Well, if you didn't build it right, it may not have value in that payday well, doesn't come. Brennan, I was at a conference recently and it was like a 
someone was introducing me. I don't remember who it was, but it was like a, it was like a, I was speaking, maybe I can't remember, but there's a whole bunch of like PE guys there and there's a whole bunch of dentists. And it was literally said like, Oh, uh, this is my buddy. And like, how many offices do you have? I'm like one. And it was literally, you could feel their energy. They, were, they walked away from me. <laughs> and then some would say, then some would say, well, he has a 13,000 square foot office. I'm like, Oh, Oh, well, well, I'm sorry. You know, like there's some sort of like, like how many offices you have Door is some front. sort of like, yeah. The yeah. Badge of it, honor a badge of honor yeah. and it's it's really unfortunate because it's really about what brings you fulfillment um and i know we're beating a dead horse here but um uh well it, i think i think it narrative. just goes down to yeah it just goes comes down to purpose you know why are you going to build a, your own dso why are you going to build a group practice why are mm -hmm. you going to look at selling to a dso you need to be purposeful in your approach always and if you're going to build it you're going to you know build an emerging dso Build it to last. Don't build it to flip. Don't build a duct tape DSO. And we use that term. Don't, don't just acquire practices for the sake of having more storefronts, quote unquote. Or going in with your buddies, like calling five of your buddies and be like, hey, let's just Well, I think, and I, I'm glad we're getting to this because that was actually my last question on my sheet was the duct tape DSO is that, is that I think they're sophisticated buyers, meaning these private equity groups or DSO sophisticated buyers, they know when something has been cobbled together with, with no semblance of continuity amongst the platform, right? Like Craig, you and I would actually, if we were to merge and like say like we're together, right? Even though our practices, you know, pretty much we do almost all, everything the same, right? Like we have a lot of continuity between our practices. It would still be looked upon like, hmm, not sure if you can get attribution for this entire merger because there's still a lot of work to do. And so you hear about like four or five buddies who have practices going together and, and then going to market. And you're like, guys, this ain't going to work. Total, gonna work. Total, total BS. I mean, and you see brokers out there pitching that model. Mm. Hey, get you and seven of your buddies. We're going to take you all the market at the same time and sell to the same buyer at an exponentially higher valuation than you could sell on your own. And like you said, these are sophisticated, financially uh, educated people that are going to look at this and say, Hey guys, this is real cute. But those two over there, we don't even want those two. And then these six, we'll buy these six, but we're going to value them independently because there's no synergies. They're and not your the friends are like, your friends are like, Hey, I don't give a shit. You got an eight times value. We're in this together. You know, well, bro, you got a four times value. You're dragging me down. No, it doesn't matter. We're six together now. You're <laughs> like, what did I right. do? What just happened? Right. Yeah. You've got to, you've got to be one company. To sell at that yeah. 10 times EBITDA, you've actually got to be one business, not 10 individual businesses yeah. that all decided to say that you were the same business. I'm glad we addressed this. I really time. am. By um, the way, I get those calls all the time. There was a, a, a bunch of guys in the area here and they're like, hey, we want to do this. We wanna, we're going to like- Join us, gonna, Greg. Join us, Yeah, Greg. join us. Just add on, <laughs> bolt on your EBITDA. Just and bolt it, it on. But by the way, you can do it. It's just what happens on the other side of it too. I, uh, Brandon, I have a question in, uh, in, in, in kind of closing, because I know you got, you got places to be and people to see. Um, are you going to be at the summit? I know that you guys are sponsoring it, yeah. but are you going to be I'll present? Be. Because I know yes, a lot right. of our listeners, you know, this is going to be, uh, you know, we've got well over 100 people coming to the summit now, and we just sold out the room block. So I know there's going to be people listening to that who are coming to the summit who actually are going to have questions, follow-up questions for you probably in person. So I'm glad that you're coming in person to be on site because I know that, 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 you know, this is a popular conversation right now. And there's, this is probably resonating with a lot of people who have a lot of questions and it's fear of the unknown. So anyway, I'm just, I'm just glad that you're no, coming. I, I, I look personally. forward to being there and we're all about education. 
Right. Look, if, if, if this makes sense for you to go down this path, great. Let's figure out how to get you the best fit and the most money possible. But if it doesn't make sense for you, I'm going to yeah. tell you that this doesn't make I sense because um, economically speaking, I mean, if over a, a five to 10 year window, it rarely makes sense to sell your practice to a DSO unless you can get a, a crazy valuation or if there's some other motivating factor that starts to make sense. It's a quality of life. It's a management uh, burden factor. Then okay, let's look at it. But it's got to be purposeful. Like Craig said, don't just have a bad day and respond to that, you know, DSO letter. And before you know it, you know, you've sold your your business without even putting a lot of thought and purpose into it. And many dentists that are listening to this have actually never worked for someone before. And psychologically, you know, it's, it, it's, it's almost like as part of this process, there's like a, you need a, like you need the financial coach and it sounds like the psychological coach that you guys are filling into, which is cool. Like the values coach, because yep. everybody just, you know, you got to really go in with the eyes wide open. Yep. And, and because I'm young, I'm in this for the long run. I mean, from my business standpoint, we, we do more private party doctor, doctor deals than we do DSO deals. It doesn't make a damn bit of difference to me if you sell today or sell 20 years from now. Do do what's right for your business. My bills are paid. I'm good. That's awesome. I love that. Well, we're happy about you being at the summit. That'll be cool. Um, Pete, do we still have any spots left at the summit? Or are we no, fully good? Literally, I, I don't think so anymore. I don't know. Kim, you'd have to you'd have to ping ping uh, info at Bullet. I mean, you'd have to get on the website and ping it. I don't, I don't know as of right well, now. Well, I'm still going to make a last pitch. If we do, go ahead and check it out. Go to Bulletproof dentalpractice.com and I know the that St. Regis is kind of pretty much sold out at this point, but, but you can um, still go to the summit and stay um, either out of the room block or at a neighboring hotel. So I'm still encouraging people to come and bring your hygienist. If you haven't brought your hygienist, please consider bringing your hygienist. We're super excited. We get that content. The hygiene alone is going to um, be worth your price of uh, admission, just the increases in hygiene. Mm-hmm. So it's good stuff. Um, awesome. Awesome. Brandon, anything in closing? That was really awesome, by the way, man. Yeah, that was really great. That Thank was, you for that. That was, that was a great chat. Um, but anything else in closing before we before we wrap? No, I appreciate the time. and look forward to seeing you guys uh, next month in Houston. Yeah, see you in a month. Awesome. Take care, okay. guys. All right. All right. Over and out. Thank you. Thank you, Bye. guys. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. If you got any value or insight from today's episode, we ask for your help. First, review us on iTunes creates awareness to help others find us and it literally takes like five seconds second if you want to stay in touch with announcements and updates text the words bulletproof all one word to 345345 we promise not to bombard you with spam text also don't forget to check out our upcoming summit 2020 registration page at bulletproofsummit.com we're going to be focusing on digital marketing including social media do not miss this one for real thanks y'all